the book of Jonah. Although we are not going to be in the book of Jonah very long today. We are going to be talking about the principles that are applied from Jonah to our Christian lives. And it's, it, it, it can be dangerous doing this because we are not Israelites. By the way, I, I, I find it fascinating, and I, 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 I adhere to it, I embrace it, but uh, Israel certainly does need prayer today. But the reality is, Israel needs to repent. That's the reality. I'm not trying to be uh, anti-Jewish at all. I, I absolutely love the Jewish people, the people of Christ, the people of God. I love them. But just like American secularization, Israel has, is a secular, secular country. And they need to repent just like America needs to repent. Repentance. And, and frankly, we are seeing judgment before our eyes. We're seeing that judgment. And they will not be, it will not be exclusive to them. We will see judgment. This country is ripe for judgment. I think it's very appropriate that the songs that we sang today are very, very practical when it comes to Jonah. Last week, two weeks ago, we talked about Jonah and that, uh, yeah, this is going to be very hard. Look at that. Where's I don't see Micah. The only reason I remember where Jonah is is because of my friend Micah. (laughs) Right? Jonah chapter 2 is where we left off last week. And I just want to briefly go through it to bring you up to to the end of the chapter 12 too. Because the reality is there is so much to apply here. There is so much to apply. And we can give you a historical context. We can give you what happened the best we can with Scripture that is laid out. But to give the application is extremely important. Because we can just go on and just hate Jonah the rest of our lives and go on living the Jonah life. And I'm afraid many Christians do. I'm going to attempt to read this without glasses. I apologize, but... The Bible says, then Jonah prayed. Finally, he prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of shield. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and your billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. He is so religious that there is absolutely no true repentance. 
He thinks his religious duties are more than enough to take care of his absence of repentance. And I will tell you, in this whole chapter of crying to God, he never once admits he was wrong. Not once. No confession. No repentance. But hey, I pray to your holy temple. And then the end, we'll get there in just a second because we talked about it two weeks ago, but I want to bring you up to this. Water encompass me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended into the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever, but you have bought, brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. That verse there is definitely talking about Sheol. If, if you know anything about Jewish people, this is absolutely 100%. This verse is all about Sheol. Did he die? I don't know. But he was there. At the bars of the depths of the pillars of the mountains in the ocean. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple. Remember, Lord, I prayed. See, I'm praying. I'm praying, God. Do you see what he's doing? You haven't forgot me. I'm praying back. I'm, I'm giving you what you deserve. It gets worse. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. What does that have to do with your nonsense? Do you see that? God, I'm a good, good guy. I'm a good person. Oh, but those guys, those guys back in the Mariners, they're vain, idle, wicked people. No, Jonah, they actually repented. They actually prayed and sacrificed to your God while you were being saved from the judgment that God gave you. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is for from the Lord. This is Jonah's prayer. Does anybody see confession of disobedience by Jonah? Yes or no? Not one. Instead of confession, he holds the banner of religiosity. Look at me, I'm a good guy. I'm not like those bad guys. Praise God that the church doesn't do it that way. The prayer has nothing to do with, with repentance. Forgive me, for I have sinned. Not once. Not once. Instead, help me. How many Christians, that's all they pray? Well, it's getting bad. We better pray. It's the only time it happens. And here's Jonah holding up his religious banner, not confessing, not repenting, and throwing other people under the bus so that he looks good in his religious garb. That's the context. 
of where we're at. Jonah at the end, and this is where we left off, Jonah two weeks ago, Jonah in, in, in verse 10 and, and following, Jonah prays dramatically in his prayer. He says, deliverance belongs to God. Amen to that. Deliverance does belong to God. But folks, we were the same way. We revel in our religion. Well, I go to church, or the church doesn't believe that, so I don't believe that, or whatever. Folks, our sins, they are many. Let's just get real about it. We are no better than the unsaved except by God's grace and His mercy. That should drive us to give the Gospel to those that need the Lord. We're not any better than them. Not one bit. Deliverance does belong to the God. This confession abruptly follows Jonah's promise to commemorate God's salvation with sacrifice and payment of vows. I will sacrifice. I will give vows. I will go out and I will not obey slaughtering all the animals because I'm going to take those animals and I'm going to sacrifice them. No! To obey is greater than sacrifice. Amen. It's exactly what Daniel just, pre- or just read on. To obey is greater than sacrifice. And he didn't obey. Matter of fact, he totally disobeyed. And now he's trying to show God how good he is. Because he prays. Because he gives credence to God. And he does. Jonah's expression is unique to his prayer. Although many other people in Scripture voice the same Sentiments, salvation is of the Lord, if we'll bring one to your remembrance. Jonah had already attempted to manipulate divine judgment by fleeing from his job. Whether he was trying to kill himself or just not do it, he was trying to manipulate God. Do we ever try to manipulate God? By the way, some people believe theologically they can manipulate God. Listen, God is absolute sovereign and there's not a one manipulation you can do to change His mind. Not one. Not one. Jonah. Jonah miscalculated. And he round up saved rather than condemned. I'm going to go the other way because I don't want to do this. And if I die, I die. I don't have to do this. So I'm just going to make this work. So I'm going to flee, and if God kills me, He kills me. I don't have to go over there. Well, to His dissatisfaction, (laughs) He was saved. (laughs) Now, if there's anybody kicking and screaming the whole way to heaven, it might be Jonah. Because that's what he tried to do. And God said, no, 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 you don't. Grabbed him by the collar and brought him back. Oh no, you're doing this. The experience convinced Jonah for a while that God's divine judgment is not preferable than divine commission. (laughs) Amen. Let's see. I can go to Nineveh 
and watch the greatest working of God this world maybe has ever seen. Or I can be in a bunch of puke in a guy's belly. Well, there's a choice. And that's what he chose. Little be known to him, that's what he chose. Jonah, the way he's saying this indicates that he was not fully prepared to accept the implication of this bold confession, save me, Lord. Because he saved him in a fish. Jonah experienced, we can find in verse 11, humbling salvation. And it's humbling even in the first part of it. It says in verse 10, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal? Jonah, you know, God commanded a fish to throw it up, and the fish threw him up. So what? Yeah, God commanded Jonah to go. He didn't go. God commanded a fish to go, and he did. That's pretty embarrassing. The fish is more obedient to God than I am, his prophet. What? God spoke to the fish, and the fish listened. There's this idea out there that, well, if God would speak to me, I'd listen more than what I do now. Well, God is speaking to you, and you have no excuse. Don't you dare tell me. Don't, I don't ever want to hear this. Please, if you believe it, fine. Don't tell me, because it doesn't sit well with my heart. God's Word is His spoken Word written down. God did say this to you. I hear this expression. It's like this idea that the red letters are more important than the rest of the Bible. What? That's nonsense. It's not. All of it is His Word. And God tells us the same thing He told Jonah. Get up. Get out, give the gospel. Amen. Now, he didn't say give the gospel because Jesus hadn't died yet, but he tells them, repent. Uh, the, uh, the glorious decision that Jonah made to disobey God not only finds him not experiencing death because God saved him, but he saved him in a judgmental way. Jonah was saved by God's choice of vomit. That's what the text is going to say here. Jonah, and the fish will vomit Jonah onto dry ground. How humbling can that get? We hear of people uh, inundated with the love of alcohol that they come home, they've been drinking all night, come home, and all they do is bow their face into the porcelain throne. Oh, goody. If you have a bathroom next to your bedroom, husband and wife, 
you hear the disgusting vomit, and it's like, I don't even want to go in there. Or it's, light the candle and use the Lysol, right? It's gross, it's disgusting, and that's God's way of saving Jonah. Oh, goody. By the way, it's not the only time God uses this in a negative sense or humble sense. He uses it in multiple other passages. One of them is Jeremiah 48.26. And the Bible says, Make her drunk, for she has defiled the Lord. Let Moab wallow in her vomit. Let her be an object of ridicule. Nothing like wallowing in vomit. How about living in vomit for three days? Whew. Now, I'm not an ichthyologist, but I'm guessing if Mr. Gaiman could explain in detail what the stomach acids and all that stuff in that would be like, I think we would be sick. But not only that, look at the verse of this that I just read from 28, talking about Moab wallowing in her vomit. Let her be an object of ridicule. Oh, look, Daddy! There's a guy that just got thrown up by a fish. Isn't he cool? <laughs> I don't think that was being said. It's like, oh, get away from him. You stink. How many think he stunk? No, no shower except vomit showers, vomit baths. But God saved him. And He saved him for a reason. Do you see the saving and judging of God right together? Only God can do that. I will tell you one, one time, it was so embarrassing to me. I was in a high school, this high school uh, was teaching the kids um, in, in the gym. And we had a, one of the kids that they all bullied How many understand there's bullies? And they were bullying, making fun of this kid. And this kid takes a, a granny shot from half court. And it bounces off the rim. And what do you think the kids did? They all laughed at him. They ridiculed him. I, I, was, I, I had had it. I said, that's it. Gave him the ball. Put it in his chest. You do it. Do you know what the kid did? He made it. That didn't work. But I think he got understood it. Regardless, God uses things to humble us. Even when He saved us, He humbles us. Here's the reality. Why is it then there's so many arrogant, proud Christians? Because we don't realize that our sins are many but His mercies more. We can be confident in Christ, but not in ourselves. Amen? And that's the issue. It's not about who we are. Or what we, it's about Christ. Now, if all we think of is who we are is who we are in Christ, amen for that. But that's usually not what we think. I'm the greatest this, or the best that, or whatever. No, no, no. We are simple sinners. We are simply sinners saved by God's grace. So, 
How does all of this, how many understand chapter 2, the verses are saying, it's a prayer, and Jonah is, he's saved and humbled at the same time. He's arrogant in his religious, I don't know how else to call it, his religious life. He thinks he's great because of that, but yet he refuses to repent and confess. What can we take from that? Let me ask you, despite his non-confessing, despite his non-repentance, did God use Jonah, yes or no? Absolutely. But the reality is, how did he use him? And I'm going to argue, and you're going to see, that he used him despite his poochy lip. True? He hated it. He hated every part of it. And we will see that eventually. But practically, what does it tell us? Jonah sinned against God, and he deserves absolutely no grace, no mercy from God whatsoever. True? Just like us. We have sinned, and we continue to sin against God, and we do not deserve His mercy, and we do not deserve His grace. That is something we do not deserve. Yet He lovingly gives it to us. Not only has Jonah not repented, nor has he confessed anything, but Jonah doubles down and his pride comes exploding through the grime of his arrogance. It is plainly obvious that Jonah has a problem. Amen? There's a punchline, so that's why not many people said amen. Because the reality is, like you and I, it is safe to say that Jonah is one of God's servants. True? Absolutely. Like you and I, Jonah sinned against the holy God. True? And continue to sin against the holy God. The question is, are we following in Jonah's pattern that is described in Hebrews 12.1? This sin that so easily besets us is hindering our usefulness to God. Is it true? I'm not going to church. There are a bunch of hypocrites. Why do they call me? Because we're stuck up and we don't think we do any sinning. And we're better than everybody else. How many would say Average Christian, that's probably true. Myself, that's probably true. Do something. Usually this is talking about politics. And, and, and by the way, it's popular to stand, to, this popular thing is stand up and lead. Stand up and lead. How many have heard that? Let's, let's stand up and lead. Let's, let's not be uh, cowardly in our, in our corner, but stand up and lead. What does that mean? We, the, the, the popular thing is do something. Usually this is talking about politics and culture. Usually. This is misguided. Let me ask you, did Jesus Christ do that? Did he, Jesus Christ stand up and lead an insurrection against Rome? Did he stand up and lead any kind of insurrection against the Jewish people? Did he, did he, did he march for this or that, or did he? No, none of that. 
None of that. It's totally misguided. What the world truly needs now is not arrogant Christians trying to push their culture on everybody else or push what they think, that's my freedom, on everybody else. What's needed today, what the world truly needs today is Christian men and women living more like Christ. Okay, I'll say that again. Because what the world needs today more than anything else is men and women living like Christ. What does that mean? Humble, serving the Lord. That's what it means. And apart from popular thought, that demands humility. It demands submission to Christ's Lordship. If we are to be taken, or if we are to be leaders in this current world, we must be humble repenters. Humble repenters. So, what does that look like? Hebrews 12, if you want to read along with me, I'm going to jump there. Hebrews 12, this is what Jonah, from what we know, by the way, this is everything I've said about Jonah is from what we know from Scripture. Are there things that happened to Jonah and that Jonah must have did that's not in here? Absolutely. So from what we know, this is what we can understand. So how do we become humble repenters? By the way, are those two words like, where did that even come from? Humility. Humility, is that a good thing in this country of ours today? Not a bit. Repenting, is that a good thing for church people? Oh, that's something for unsaved to do, but not church people. I will tell you this, repenting should be happening, must be happening with church people more than it is with unsaved. Hebrews 12 says it very well. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. By the way, is Hebrew 12 talking to believers? Yes or no? Absolutely. And God is saying, lay aside the encumbrances, the entanglements of this world, the nonsense. We wouldn't call it sin per se, but it's, it's nonsensical stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> For instance, I was talking with a lady this week, and did you know that the, the Powerball, this was like on, I think it was, oh, I don't even remember the days, they're all mixed up. The Powerball is $0.9 billion. Let's go get Powerballs. I mean, that's their whole life. Is that an encumbrance? Absolutely. One would argue it might even a sin, but the point is, it's certainly an encumbrance. But look what he says. He says, let aside the encumbrances, things that really don't matter. You know, we, we have in this world today, it's, it's Christian liberty. How many have heard that word? And that Christian liberty is the idea, we, it's liberty to do whatever we want. I will tell you, 
Christian liberty is sequestered by Christian responsibility if they truly love others. And Christian liberty, do you know what truly it is? It's liberty from the entanglement of sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin, the practice of sin. We shouldn't be flaunting these liberties and, and sinning as we please. That is called heresy, not bibliosity. Does that make sense? Today, there's this, there's this huge thing is, is liquor. Hey, I'm a Christian. I have liberty to drink. O okay, I get that. That's fine. Liquor in and of itself is not sin. But man, what are you going to do with the person that is a drunk and can't handle it? You're going to flaunt that in their face? The Bible has something very stringent to say about that specific thing. Anyone who does what I just said to these little ones or the immature Christians, it were better that a what? A 200,000 pound anchor is thrown around your neck and you are cast into the depths of the sea. You see, God's not flaunting Christian liberty as we may think He is. We better be careful. The attitude is this. Everybody wants to be, is it right or wrong? But let me ask you, here's the reality. Is it best? Is it best? Just because it's right doesn't make us want to do that. Just because it's not sin, it doesn't make us want to just delve into it. Is it best? That's the attitude. Again, I'm not preaching against liquor right now. Get me. It's this, this is a common theme. I mean, in all these Christian weddings I'm hearing now, let the liquor flow. Because it's not sin. That might be true. But is it best? That's something you have to decide between you and God, by the way. Amen? It's not dictated. It goes on. He says, okay, so we need to lay aside these, these sins and these nonsensical things that entangle us into this world and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is the race that is set before us? Love and serve others. That's the race. How do you do that? Give them the gospel. Help them in their need. Love on them. Care for them. How do we do that? Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before us endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look what God did for you. He's God. I will tell you this. He did what was best. Not what was prudent for himself. Quote, unquote. In a sense. How many understand that? He died. He sacrificially died. He was riddled with beaten and, and stoned. Folks, there's so many things that God went through. It is unbelievable. For one reason, 
for your eternal life. Don't you think if Christ did that for us, we should be out there giving the gospel to others. They're not hanging us on a cross. They're not stoning us with a whip of bones and ripping our flesh off our back. They're not beating us in the face and pressing a crown of thorns on our head. And yet, we still aren't doing what's right. We're still a bunch of Jonas. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. You haven't done what Christ did. And Christ is not asking you to do that at this moment. He is asking us to go. Are we going? Oh, we talk about it. We preach about it. We teach about it. We read books about it. But do we do it? And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Folks, if we refuse to obey God, we will be disciplined. Jonah was a man of God just like us. Remember, I'm not saying he was a great man of God. He was a servant of God just like us. And yet he didn't obey and then a fish came and swallowed him, kept him in his gut for three days, threw him up on a shore so he would go and do what he said. What's it going to take for us? What's it going to take if we're truly child of God, if we're truly a child of God? Will he discipline us? Yes or no? Absolutely. And we see it firsthand with Jonah. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what is the son there for whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are. This is the text. This is not me. I am not giving you my opinion. This is what the Bible says. If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Oof. Christ disciplines whom He loves. Therefore, if you are sinning and are not being disciplined, that's. Uh, by the way, illegitimate. There are better name, There are different names for that today. That's what you are, folks. We have we have been saved unto God good works. Ephesians chapter two verse ten. Amen. That's what we've been. We haven't been saved so we can just enjoy all of our life and our flesh. In our flesh. That's not why we're saved. We're saved to do good works. To do good works, but when we live in the flesh for the tastes that this world has to offer, God our Father will discipline until we learn from our mistakes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 explains 
that we have been, what we have been redeemed for. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in His this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Until you've been saved about 20 years, then they come back. That's not what the text says. You are new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He was committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. That's what we're here for. We have a job. Work till the night is coming. There is a time and place when we will not be able to share the gospel with anybody. We will live with Him. And all those opportunities to share the gospel are gone. I don't know about you, but I have faced death that just ripped me up. Not because I loved them so much, although I did. Not because they weren't close to me, because they were. But because I failed to give them the gospel. And they today are in hellfire right now. We are ambassadors for Christ. How? How are we to look? What are we to act? As though God were making an appeal through us. Through us. We are the only Christ they will ever see, possibly. How's that going? He reconciled to God. He made... Okay, I'm sorry. And though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let me ask you, was the book of Corinthians written to unsaved people or saved people? It was a church. Yes, there's both in there. He's talking to believers. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to confess and repent. We need to confess and repent. He, he, matter of fact, Christ is so adamant about it. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the, made, become the righteousness of God in Him. So many times we do not look like the righteousness God has made us. True or untrue. Yet, we simply keep living like we always have lived and have become comfortable in the life we have made for ourselves. We hate change, and we like that. So I'm not going to change, but I'm going to try to keep this sin out of my life. That's not going to work. Someone has said, and I'm going to butcher this because I don't know exactly how it was said, but the guy that keeps doing what doesn't work isn't very smart if he keeps doing it the same way. True? 
It's the same with the Christian life. If you have a problem in a certain sin, then you need to change it. You need to get on your knees, confess, repent, and don't keep putting yourself in those positions. I mean, hello? Pastor, I don't, I don't know. I just I keep getting drunk. Don't go to the bar. Oh, there's a novel thought. Never thought of that. How many understand that? I have family that literally, the wife left them. Why? Because they kept going to the bar. She met somebody there. And guess what? 20 years later, still going to the stinking bar. That's not helpful. And literally, literally said, I'm not kidding, literally said, well, we got to hide this because his wife doesn't like him going to the bar. Stop going to the bar. Amen, Pastor Graf. That's true. It's causing you harm. It's not helping the cause of Christ. Do you realize that in this very town, there were sky pilots going into the bars. They were pastors going into the bar, knocking people out and dragging them out because they asked them to. I'm not kidding you. It's, that's history of this area. And they literally happen. The guy said, listen, I can't handle my liquor problem. I got a liquor problem. Stop going to the bar. And if I go to the bar, knock me out, pull me out. He did. He did. But that's how dumb we are. How many get that? I'm going to keep doing something I know is hindering my spiritual life. I'm going to keep doing something that I know is being an enemy of God. I'm going to keep doing it. What? So many times we do not look like the righteousness God has made us. Yet, we simply keep living like we always have lived and we have become comfortable in the life we have made for ourselves. We are in a battle like Paul was in Romans 7. What was that battle? I no longer, so now, no longer am I the one doing it. Oh, I'm sorry, let's start up here. For we know, know the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what, am I, what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. He's not saying the devil made me do it, by the way. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Okay, this is the man that turned the world upside down, that God used to turn the world upside down. How many get that? And what is his view of himself? Oh, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. He didn't have a high view of himself. Amen. Not at all. <clears throat> Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, my flesh, the law of sin. Paul's enormous frustration, he was enormously frustrated when he, like us, 
take up sides with the enemy of God. We do that all the time. We, we, our flesh gets a hold of us. And by the way, that happens. It happens when we <clears throat> allow our emotions to rule our life without being checked through the word. Amen. And it, 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 it messes everything up. He's enormously frustrated when he, he says, listen, I am just like everyone else, an enemy of God. Paul is saying he's an enemy of God when he acts like this. So are we. We are put in the category of enemy of God. Oh, you're a Christian? No, I'm an enemy of God because I keep singing. Paul's frustration was clear. And according to the text we were just in not too long ago, we need ongoing reconciliation. It needs to be a never-ending opportunity. Confess, repent, draw closer to Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 26 through 20, 31 says the same thing. And I'm, I'm giving you all these texts because you need to look at the text yourself. This isn't just me saying that. It's from the Word of God. Amen? Hebrews 10, 26. When we so sin willfully, we are rebelling against God, taking up the position of enemy of God. When we sin, we are identifying ourselves with the enemies of God. First, it says, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversities. Unless you're Jonah, and in Jonah, the expectation of a judgment and a fish with vomit throwing you up on the shore after three days of living in him. That's his judgment. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot the Son of God? What does that mean? When you continue to sin willfully, not repent, not confess, you are trampling under your foot Christ. That's a very dangerous place to be. You're saying my flesh is more important than He is. And I'm going to abide by doing what I want to do and I don't care what He wants. Say, I would never say that. No, that's just how we live. It's how we live. How much severe punishment do you think He will deserve who has trampled under the foot the Son of God? and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay again, saith the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This is, this is a time of Christians who are sin and willfully Continually sin without confession and repentance. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. Partly by being made a public spectacle through 
reproaches and tribulations from outside, basically. And partly because becoming shares with those who were so, so mistreated in the world. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. You see, in the early church, they were persecuted so bad, they were taken, their, their goods were taken, their money was taken, their property was taken, and they were persecuted. And not one of them said, hey, what about my rights? Not one of them did that. They just kept faithfully serving and loving other people. You showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted, um, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. In essence, the house is nothing. The car is nothing. Christ is everything. Christ is all that matters. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, with, which has great reward. Confidence in Christ. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of the ones who have faith to the preserving of the soul. It is one thing to do that when one is unsaved. To be an enemy of God, that is. But when we act like that, it's something totally... When we act like an enemy of God, that's something totally different. We must confess. We must repent. We must be reconciled back to God. If you are going to misrepresent Him and side against Him as an enemy, He is going to chastise you very hard. So Jonah, like us, did not want to preach repentance to those God called us, called him to. And like us, how many times do we tell people they need to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life and their life in Christ? Like Jonah, we find excuses to go the opposite way. Jonah, like us, wanted his own comfortable life the way he saw it. Jonah, like us, appealed to his religiosity to make himself feel good and disparages others to help us feel good about ourselves. Like Jonah, just like us, God chastised him and saved him. And here's the pinnacle of chapter 2. This is the essence. Are we going to be like Jonah? And with prideful arrogance, never repent or confess. Frankly, this is probably a daily exercise for all of us. Lord, I have sinned against you by fill in the blank. Now, Lord, how can you help me stop this? I hate this sin that besets me. Please help me. Rescue me. Lead me on a better path through your word. So, what does repentance look like? I have three more pages, and we are not going to get through them.
How many understand the principle? Jonah thought he was so religiously good, he was no earthly good. That's exactly what it is. Today, many Christians feel the same. Jonah's problem, he never repented, he never confessed. That we know of. Our problems, we think too high of ourselves than we ought to. When we get real and say, yeah, that was wrong, that was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Lord, help me. Change our st- lifestyle to not help that sin out. We're going to be the same thing Jonah is. Every one of us are just like him. All right, this isn't a beautiful sermon. But it's a much-needed sermon for my life. And I'll be honest, it's a much-needed sermon for all of us. We gotta stop being Jonah's. And don't we dare look at him and point the finger. (laughs) For in many senses... We're worse than Jonah. Jonah had the voice of God. We have all of God's words that he wanted us to have. A whole lot more than Jonah ever had. And yet, we still act, walk, talk, and live like him. How dare we trample under the foot of our feet the Son of God? And where's the discipline? Whew. Maybe we should check, are we truly born again? Amen? Mr. Gaiman, can you close this word of prayer, please? Oh, and next week, if we're still here working, right, we are going to preach on what does this repentance look like from the book of Psalm chapter 32. Please stand, I'll pray, and we'll be dismissed this morning. Father, thank you for this passage. We have had a difficult look at Jonah, and the reflection we see is our own lives. I pray that by your Spirit we would examine the areas of each of our lives every day that we need to confess and forsake that we might be useful to you in ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.